Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. According to the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, childhood vaccination rates are relatively high, but most adults are not vaccinated as recommended, leaving them vulnerable to illness, long-term suffering, and even death. Immunization rates have declined across all age groups during the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Liam Schaffner is here to speak with us today about updates to the most recent Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices meeting. Dr. Schaffner is the Medical Director of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. He's also a Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Schaffner. For starters, please talk to us about what the ACIP is and how it works. ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. It's an expert external advisory committee to the CDC. Vaccines are first licensed by the Food and Drug Administration, or in the case of COVID, as we all know, they got an emergency use authorization. In any event, once the FDA either gives an EUA or a license, then the baton, if you will, is handed to the ACIP. For over 70 years, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, in conjunction with a whole series of professional organizations, then makes recommendations about how these vaccines, newly licensed by the Food and Drug Administration, should actually be used. Who should get the vaccine? When? What's the booster schedule, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the job of the advisory committee. There are 15 members. It meets formally three times a year, February, June, and October. Uh, there've been many special meetings because of COVID vaccine in between, uh, but they debate then, discuss all the merits of the different vaccines and come together to make recommendations. In effect, they then become the standard of care. And this is done in conjunction, as I said, with professional colleagues representing a whole variety of professional organizations. It's a very harmonious, it's a very sincere process, and it's wonderfully transparent. Anybody who wants can go to the CDC website, tune in and watch these debates, these discussions, the making of the recommendations occur in real time. It's actually quite a marvel. People really dedicate many, many hours to getting these recommendations right. It's one of the most satisfying professional things I've done during my career. You said that they meet three times regularly during the year. One of those meetings just wrapped up. Can you tell us what was said during that meeting about influenza? Sure. At these meetings, they deal with a whole series of vaccines, and flu was at the top of the list. In June each year, they validate, they vote to approve the recommendations for the coming flu season. And there weren't very many changes this year. The important thing to know is that the recommendations are as they always are uh, or have been for a long time. If you're older than six months of age, you should be vaccinated against influenza. Children who need two doses, if it's their first time getting flu vaccine and they're younger than eight years of age, they can start earlier when the vaccine becomes available, kind of in August and September, because we want to get both of those 
doses in separated by a month, all the rest of us should start getting vaccinated in and around mid-September through October and on beyond October if somehow we haven't gotten this little job done uh, by October. We shouldn't uh, think that we shouldn't get vaccinated because influenza peaks usually in the United States in and around February. It varies, but that's more or less the norm. It was emphasized that you could get influenza vaccine and COVID vaccine at the same time. Bang, bang, one shot in each arm if you haven't had COVID by this fall, but we hope you get vaccinated against COVID before then. So I think that was the, the gist, pretty straightforward. And I guess we should mention, you know, all of our COVID restrictions has, have resulted in a, a virtual no flu season last year. It's the lowest flu season any of us can remember. But now that we're all out again amongst each other, children going back to school, we anticipate that flu will return. And so we need to pay special attention to everybody getting flu vaccine this fall because flu will be back, I'm afraid. So in all our hurly-burly about COVID, let's not forget this other really nasty virus, influenza. We have vaccines against both of them. There are some vaccines in the pipeline, pneumococcal vaccine and herpes zoster vaccine. What was said during the meeting about those two? There weren't any votes taken, but it was like previews of coming attractions. And that's the way the ACIP works. They discuss issues for several meetings. When they've come to a conclusion, they make their recommendations. As regards pneumococcal vaccine, we're talking about adults only now because there are two new pneumococcal vaccines, conjugate vaccines, pneumococcal conjugate vaccine 15 and PCV 20 that we anticipate will be licensed by the Food and Drug Administration sometime later this summer or early in the fall. And the question has been under discussion for some time, how ought these vaccines to be used? And particularly so, since just about everybody agrees, the current adult pneumococcal vaccination schedule is complicated to negotiate. And there's a great desire to simplify it. So that was all under discussion, previews of coming attractions, stay tuned. And as regards shingles vaccine, zoster vaccine, recombinant zoster vaccine, we all know that it's licensed and we all know that it's currently recommended for all adults age 50 and older who are immunocompetent. Ah, the issue has been for a while, what about immunocompromised adults, basically of any age? Uh, should we vaccinate them? Because we know their immune systems are not as responsive to the vaccine. And of course, immunocompromised people come in a whole variety of different uh, formulations, shall I say. So it's hard to group them. The ACIP has been studying this and discussing it very, very carefully and just anticipating that they also, perhaps this fall already, will have a recommendation for the use of this vaccine, this otherwise extraordinarily effective shingles vaccine in this population. 
it's particularly important because immunocompromised people are at increased risk of getting shingles. So we all await the conclusion of those discussions and they will come, I think, at the October meeting. At least I hope so. Two other vaccines I know you wanted to touch on, specialty vaccines, dengue vaccine and rabies vaccine. What did the ACIP say surrounding those two vaccines? Yeah, we might think of these as kind of specialty vaccines. So dengue is a mosquito-borne disease that in the greater United States is active in Puerto Rico. And the difficulty with dengue, just to do dengue 101 very quickly, is you can get repeated infections with this virus or its or its different strains. And it's the second uh, infection that really gives you much more severe disease. And so we'd like to prevent that. And there is now a licensed dengue vaccine licensed by the Food and Drug Administration. It's a three-dose vaccine. It's aimed at adolescents and young children aged 9 to 16 years of age. It would be focused on those children in Puerto Rico. But there's a trick. The, the way to administer this vaccine is a little bit counterintuitive. You would like to give it to prevent those second infections or third infections. And so you want it safest to give this vaccine only to youngsters who have already had their first infection. <laughs> this is a little bit complicated. So in order to give this vaccine, you have to first serologically screen the population. And there's been much discussion about developing an appropriate, uh, very reliable, kind of inexpensive screening test that could be used uh, by doctors uh, in Puerto Rico to screen this population. And uh, that's all been just about put into place, those mechanisms, and a pilot study will, we trust, soon be undertaken to see how this system works and what the kinks are and whether we can get, get the kinks out. There have been some surveys of doctors who clearly have said they need education about this. That sounds very reasonable. But they would be willing to screen and administer the vaccine appropriately. That's very good. There was another survey of parents who said, similar to the doctors, oh, we need education about dengue. But yes, it sounds as though this is an appropriate thing for our children to receive. So with the appropriate education, I think that this can go forward. And the ACIP is going to be very, very keen on getting follow-up reports about how this is implemented actually in the field. As to the other vaccine, it's rabies vaccine. We will remember that rabies vaccine is sometimes given to certain people pre-exposure because they might be exposed, veterinarians, for example, or people who are traveling internationally to areas of the world where rabies is much, much more common and hazardous than it is in the United States. And then there's post-exposure prophylaxis. Ah, you've been bitten, and now what do we do in order to prevent rabies? 
Both of these were under discussion, and the ACIP, not to go into the details, voted to make the recommendations between adults and children congruent and cleaned up some details. So that actually is very good going forward. You can find out the details if you go to the CDC website. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about today, Dr. Schaffner? Well, only that the uh, ACIP is, again, I would say, a rather remarkable organization. For over 70 years, as I've said, it has made recommendations for how vaccines ought to be used uh, in the United States, in the civilian uh, population. And those recommendations rather quickly become the standards of care. And they this is done in harmony, as we like to say, with professional societies. It's a wonderful mechanism. It's so good that periodically these meetings are visited by people internationally representing other countries who wish to establish very similar committees so that vaccine use in their countries can also be as as coherent, comprehensive, and uh, done so smoothly as it is in the United States. It's, It's a remarkable mechanism. And these folks have been working over time, over time during the COVID era with many, many specially called meetings. So the ACIP, I think, is a national treasure. Well, thank you again for joining us today. My pleasure, as always.